And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond, a missionary and uh, the founder and person who runs Frontline Fellowship and the Reformation Society. Uh, Peter, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you. I'm on your mailing list, and uh, recently you got back from a very major uh, trip, uh, Reformation 500 Mission to America and Europe, and I was hoping maybe you could share some of the highlights from that trip with the folks today and encourage our hearts in the Lord as to what he is doing in this big world of ours. Well, yes, certainly. Thank you, Dan. It, it's been a tremendous blessing. And this Reformation 500 mission uh, to Europe was several years in the planning and preparation, actually. Um, it was back in 2005 that I was on a mission to Europe, and it was quite unusual. What had happened is I'd written the book Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, the Historic Roots and Contemporary Threats, and, and that brought about invitations to everywhere from Northern Ireland. Ian Paisley invited me uh, to a series of meetings there, uh, to Christian University in Romania, I was up in Poland, uh, ministering in Germany, Switzerland, uh, Belgium, France. It was, it was really incredible. Eleven countries in four weeks. And during that time, I had the opportunity to travel through Wittenberg and to minister in Geneva, at the Geneva Bible Institute, and in Zurich. And so I got to this great sense of the Reformation, and I, I, I went to, of course, Luther House and the Schlosskirche and Stuttkirche and Wittenberg, where the Reformation was born, the epicenter of the Reformation. And, and uh, I ended my mission uh, to Europe on a time actually in Geneva, standing at the Reformation wall and standing in front of the great uh, memorial there. And I couldn't help but notice the dates. And at that time, I thought 1517, 2005, we're just 12 years from the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation being launched, the alien yeah. of thesis in the castle door in Wittenberg, the Schlosskirche, and so um, I, I started to think about what could we do to, I mean, this is really a monumental historic milestone of, of such importance, and we can use this for education, for evangelism, and even for emphasizing the life-transforming doctrines that made the Reformation of the 16th century such a great movement for faith and freedom, such a tremendous revival uh, of, of faith and, and real freedom, productivity, prosperity. So many good things came out of it. Uh, in between, I also got the vision with the, oh, 2013 was the 200th anniversary of, of Dr. David Livingston's birth. And uh, Livingston's the most honored and respected name in all of Africa mm. and uh, mm. best friend I've ever had. So we had a very bold uh, move, the Livingston 200. We ministered across 12 countries, 12 huge countries that uh, David Livingston walked across and ministered across in his 26 years of dedicated labors on the African continent. And we had a um, phenomenal amount of ministry and ended up at the Victoria Falls, which he named and made known to the world and measured and so on. And everything from the Zambian government, national TV the local TV, the mayor's office, they're all there. And it was just uh, uh, wonderful that we could see that we could use these historic milestones for evangelism, education, and emphasizing great doctrines. And uh, so uh, this this one, and of course Germany, Wittenberg was the epicenter. Um, 
So I, I started planning what we would do in South Africa and what we'd do there. Well, goodness me, did this ever get car carried away? <laughs> Over the last five years, um, uh, since we launched the 95 Thieves for Reformation today, which, which is basically putting a whole lot of what Luther and other reformers like Tyndale, Zwingli, uh, Calvin had said on different key points and, and trying to concentrate and also some of the more uh, thorny issues that have popped up in our day that they didn't deal with, um, but looking at, well, what would they have said considering right. the doctrine spoken, for example, the attacks on marriage or uh, on uh, the um, creation uh, details in Genesis. And, and so a whole lot of things that, well, Martin Luther spoke with crystal clarity on education as a battlefield and that he's afraid that schools will prove to be wide gates to hell unless mm. they diligently labor and explain the holy scriptures and engraving them in the hearts of youth. And I advise no one to place his child where the scriptures do not reign paramount. So uh, there we thought, wow, um, how much clearer it could be. And he said it almost 500 years ago. So uh, what I did was put together this 95 Theses from a whole range of what the reformers spoke on to make short, sharp, uh, statements and uh, scriptures supporting, uh, much like what Martin Luther did dealing with indulgences, but of course that battle's won. So um, this started to distribute and it got translated into Spanish and French and German and uh, Dutch and into Flemish. Uh, it was distributed in Afrikaans and all over. And we started to get people many parts of the world and all over Africa and invitations to run Reformation 500 conferences in Nigeria, Zambia, Malawi, Swaziland, Lesotho, Botswana, Namibia, Zimbabwe. So uh, this Reformation Africa Overland Mission started to really expand. And then I started to get invitations to run Reformation 500 conferences in the Netherlands and Belgium and uh, inquiries from France and even from California and from Idaho and from Pennsylvania. And so uh, I started to <laughs> put these things together. And in this year, I've been to America three times, which is very unusual for me. I don't normally come across the Atlantic more than once a year. And uh, uh, this ministry in Europe just it, it grew into this month-long mission. Uh, in the end, I did 56 meetings, including eight conferences and nine church services. And uh, it, it, it was intense. Um, the, the highlight for me uh, was the Netherlands ministry, actually, extraordinarily. Uh, I, I never expected that because, to be honest, I thought that the church in the Netherlands was dead. And um, I had my first day there. Uh, there was a, a day seminar in the middle of the week on a Wednesday at a Bible college. And it was a small Bible college. I don't think they had more than... Um, 18 students, uh, but there was 100 people at that day seminar uh, dealing with the Reformation, and uh, I, I had wonderful opportunity to deal with the steps to Reformation, the battlefields of Reformation, the dangers that watchmen on the wall should be warning against. But then there was a school the next day, all day, lecturing them. They wanted all aspects of the Reformation, and, and uh, it's just great. And that evening packed full of uh, people coming from very far and wide to hear more about this. And, of course, I'm being translated to the Netherlands language. And uh, uh, then I'm driven off the next day to North Holland to a Reformation and Revival conference. Well, you know, we, we count it pretty good if we can get 100 people to a conference like that. 
over 960 people came to this uh, weekend conference from Friday to Sunday. And there were three prayer meetings a day mm. with earnest, fervent, dedicated, you know, where there was no real gap. It was just one person off the pouring out their hearts. And the, when people are praying that intensely, you can imagine that the ministry is easy. It was just tremendous. These meetings would carry on until uh, 10, 3, 11, 12 at night. Mm. Um, and I'd be dealing with so much counseling and question and answers, hours and hours. Uh, I, I must say, I, I felt absolutely sucked dry, exhausted. I'd, I'd, I'd sort of pass out the end of the day uh, <laughs> and be amazed to wake up to the sun rising. And uh, uh, it, it was extraordinary as they wanted ministry on the Great Commission, on the Reformation and on Martin Luther and the teachings and how to revive our devotional life and all these different aspects. So um, uh, that, that really amazed me to see that there was so much spiritual life, even in uh, what we would consider one of the deader parts of Europe. Yes, yes. Yeah, you really caught my attention there about the Netherlands. You know, I, I have, uh, well, of course, you know, my name, uh, our family, many, many years ago came from the Netherlands uh, into the New York State area, uh, well before the Declaration of Independence even. And, um, you know, the Netherlands um, had a very strong uh, Dutch Reformed element, and yet uh, today... Um, I felt the way you did, like, you know, the, the churches are, are mostly dead, and it, it is encouraging to see God doing a work there. Um, one of the things you mentioned was that uh, um, there's, there's dangers, and, and watchmen need to be warning their people. Uh, I, I wonder if perhaps um, they let down on that in some respects. Yes. Uh, for example, here's an interesting one. Uh, when I saw these people, and, and by the way, it was mostly young people, young parents, parents with lots of children. Good. Uh, you know, we might see a parent with two, three, four, five children, which in Europe is rare because uh, the average marriage, well, they're lucky if they have one child uh, in, in general, but not amongst, not amongst the Christians. And, and these Christians were Reformed Christians and very evangelical. So uh, I, I was quite surprised to, to see... Uh, how many uh, you know young families there were <laughs> at, at this camp? Because I did a Reformation camp up in Denmark some years ago, and yeah, I, I think we had uh, almost a hundred people there if you counted all the children, and they also had a lot of children each, um, <laughs> generally speaking. And I thought that was a pretty good turnout in Denmark for Reformation conference. Um, but in Netherlands, it, it struck me, and so I asked where did all these people come from. They said the Bible Belt. I said the Bible Belt of where of Holland? Yes. Wow. Yeah, Bible Belt in Holland? Yes, of course. Well, I wasn't aware of the Bible Belt in the Netherlands. <laughs> um, and uh, the next thing I was told uh, was that you will not have any trouble convincing these people of sin. They're all Calvinists. Yes. They, they're well aware of their sin. You will have trouble convincing them of assurance of salvation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this is something interesting that I think that, uh, of course, you can you can err on, on extremes, of course. But... In the Western countries where I minister, we don't err on the extreme of having a great sense of the holiness of God and the judgment of God and the wrath of God and having a tremendous sense of our unworthiness and depravity. Uh, we err more on the side of taking God for granted mm. and taking our salvation for granted. But he said, you will have great trouble persuading these people that they have assurance of salvation. Hmm. And in fact, I found that so. There was a tremendous sense of 
of uh, need and of depravity of man and of our unworthiness and of God's holiness, but um, they did seem to have trouble grasping the grace and the mercy of God. They knew the terms and the concepts, but had trouble applying it themselves. So, so there you can see that the Netherlands, they obviously had a lot of the truths, but not in balance. But then I don't think that we've got a balance either. I think we over over err on the side of rushing to to assure people of their salvation instead of spending a bit longer on conviction and on a deep um, excavating of of the uh, foundations uh, to build solid doctrine on. So sometimes I think we find our people are a bit shallow in their faith. That wasn't the problem I had there. I found that these people had a strong understanding of the doctrine of God and the sinfulness of man, but they really needed help on, on assurance of salvation in Christ. That, that's fascinating. Um, what about the people of the Netherlands? H- have you observed anything regarding how they perceived the, the battle lines between a Christian civilization as opposed to Islam sweeping in and taking over? Oh, yes. No, uh, many are seeing that. In fact, the Netherlands probably has uh, the most vocal, outspoken opposition to the Islamization of Europe. And you've got, for example, Gert Wilders, who's very famous. Uh, in, in, uh, he leads the uh, People's Freedom Party, or the PVV, which is the second largest political party in the Netherlands. The Netherlands, like Switzerland, doesn't have a majority party. There's lots of smaller parties, and you cannot rule without a coalition. I think that's hard for America to understand where you think you can only have two parties. Um, but yeah. places like the Netherlands have many parties, and so uh, no one party has a majority ever, actually. I don't know if they've ever had that. So uh, what, what you have uh, there is, is coalitions which are continually changing. But uh, you've got with the PVV a tremendous, um, courageous, a bold stand on exposing what Islam is, and of course the Secular humanists and the liberals are falling over themselves in hysteria because uh, to them you can't do that. And even though Gert Wilders is a member of parliament, they charge him in court with hate speech. And it's not hate speech, but he's just quoting what they teach in the Quran and what they do. And for this, he's accused of hate speech. Now, he's an elected representative of the second largest party in the country. And yet they could drag him into court and uh, charge him outrageous fines uh, for basically telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. So this is where secular humanism has gone in Europe, that, that you, you can do anything from blasphemy to pornography, uh, but what you can't do is tell the truth. And I met his second in uh, command was uh, number two, Martin Bosmer, who's a senior member of the House of Representatives. And I found Martin Bosmer the most intelligent, well-informed politician I've ever met in Europe, Neat. well-informed on... My own country, South Africa, the communists, the Muslims, uh, the plight that Europe's facing. And we had an extremely uh, fast-moving three and a half hours of, of covering a whole range of things. He's doing his doctorate on how the Dutch media lied to the Netherlands people to betray the South African Afrikaans cousins into the hands of the genocidal Marxist ANC. Mm. That's quite an interesting thing because the South African people especially as they were known at the time of the Boers, back at the turn of the last century were the most respected, loved people in all of Holland and, in fact, the whole of Europe because they were standing up against the British Empire, the bullies of the world. And they were uh, standing firm and it was the misfortune of our 
uh, Netherlands people and South Africa, the Afrikaans people, to have uh, done a great trick uh, into an area where the richest gold um, reserves were found in the world and diamond reserves. And so the British Empire, of course, picked a fight, much like these days in the world, if there's a country that's got a lot of oil, America's going to bomb or invade or liberate them mm. sometime. Um, so back then, if you had gold and diamonds, the British were going to come and civilize you, I suppose. Um, and <laughs> interesting how the Boers or the Afrikaners went from being the most respected people in the world in 1900 to being the most despised and hated people in the world, vilified, in just 60 years. You know, that, that concerns me because uh, we see similar efforts here in the uh, American media to totally misrepresent uh, the Christian worldview and, and make us out to be enemies. Yes. What we're seeing right now is they are vilifying and demonizing God's people while they are glamorizing and deifying uh, the enemies of God. Right. And this, of course, is something Hollywood has been doing for a long time. And if you look at, uh, excuse me, making a slight uh, deviation, but I think the whole world is aware of the Harvey Weinstein scandals. Yeah. And we are all standing back uh, saying, you know, are the people brain dead over there? Because <laughs> Hollywood has been completely glamorizing adultery, rape, perversion, uh, blasphemy. I mean, it's it's a blasphemy industry. The entire Hollywood industry is as vile, anti-Christian, anti-God as it is possible to be. Yes. And they and they laugh at every kind of evil. And you think, uh, how many times has there been some Hollywood um, Academy Awards where uh, people make jokes like, you know, uh, all these actresses, well, the, the, now that they've uh, won this award, they won't have to pretend that they like Harvey Weinstein mm. and everyone so they know, they knew. Yes. And then get Meryl Streep standing up there and saying, you know, I want to thank God, Harvey Weinstein. And it's quite clear she meant that Harvey Weinstein is God. Yeah. And there's lots of laughter and lots of people. Understand. And they were continuing. They mentioned Roman Polanski, who's wanted by the U.S. Justice Department for raping a 13-year-old, amongst other atrocities. And then his name is mentioned at the Academy Awards of winning this and that, and there's chairs and the entire place erupts into applause for him. And now they want to act that they're shocked that Harvey Weinstein's proven to be a rapist, uh, a pedophile. Uh, you had people like, um, uh, is it Elijah Wood and others who, who have really in the past blown the whistle on how there's a tremendous amount of pedophilia and rape and uh, child abuse and uh, immorality, uh, all that sort of thing in Hollywood. And child stars are all abused. And Barbara Walters immediately says, oh, you can't demonize an entire industry like that. So she, she wasn't concerned at how his life had been ruined and how many people have been abused and taken advantage of by these sleaze buckets. Uh, she yeah. was concerned about image management for them. And so for them to suddenly act like, oh, we're horrified and shocked, they have got to be kidding. <laughs> they are not just they're not just hypocrites. <laughs> yeah. This really points out the, the need for what really drives you and, and all Christians, and that is uh, the Great Commission and, and getting the gospel out. And not only that, but also seeing the gospel pervade all avenues of life so that everything is brought under the kingship of Jesus Christ. We've got maybe two minutes left. Can you encourage us along that line? Amen. This is what inspires us. The Lord who gave us the Great Commission will enable us to fulfill it infallibly. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. 
he cannot be defeated. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If the devil is not fleeing from us, then either we are not submitting to God, or we're not resisting the devil, or both. But greater is Christ who is in us than him who is in the world. We are more than conquered through Christ Jesus who loved us. And the Lord has promised us that the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the seas are full of water now. And as I went through Holland, I couldn't help but see this picture. You know, uh, Netherlands, uh, as I say, God made the world, but the Dutch made Holland. And uh, because... Uh, 60% of the Netherlands is under sea level mm. and they've done all this reclaiming land and, and the dikes and the windmills of course symbolic and I think many times we think of ourselves like that little Dutch boy who's got his finger in a dike because there's a crack in the dike while his sister runs to seek help and you know we sometimes think like we've got our fingers all fingers in the holes in the dike and our knee and our toes and our forehead and our elbows and you know the whole dike's about to give way but actually it's the other way around because Light is more powerful than darkness. Amen. Not all darkness can put out the smallest light. Truth is more powerful than all the lies. And in fact, the dikes are being put up by the world. It is Hollywood and the liberals and media and government who are putting up walls to try and keep the light of Christ out, to try and keep the truth of the gospel out of the public sphere and out of the schools. And when suddenly a passion of the Christ comes through, there's a crack in the dike. And when the Creation Museum gets established or the Ark Encounter gets built up, or whether it is our Christian radio programs or newsletters or books and Bible being published in different languages, these are cracks in the humanist's dike. And they're the ones who fight against the force of the whole ocean because the ocean represents God's power and nobody can win against God. And it's not us Christians who are putting up dikes to keep the world out. It's the world who are putting up dikes to keep Christians and Christianity out of the public sphere and out of the schools and universities in particular and the intellectual discussions on science and intelligent design. So there is no doubt that the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the seas are full of water. One day... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that means everyone. So the question isn't, will you bow to Christ? The question is, when will you bow to Christ? Mm. Because you will bow to Christ either as judge then or as Savior and Lord now. Today is the day of grace. Today is the day when salvation is freely open and, and, and available. But the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess uh, and it'll be too late for salvation then. It'll, it'll be uh, to God as judge. So the question is, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, or is he your eternal judge? And it is a privilege to serve the King of Kings, to be a servant and to be a soldier and to be involved in this wonderful work of making disciples of all nations and teaching obedience to all things that the Lord has commanded. And what we are seeing in the world is a counterfeit kingdom. Because this new world order, that's, that's the devil's kingdom. It's his counterfeit. He's got his own gospel, if you like, and he's got his own message, and he's got his own commandments. You know, thou shalt not be a racist, and thou shalt not be an Islamophobe, and thou shalt not be a homophobe. And they've got their, they've got their laws. They've got their sacraments, even. I mean, abortion is their own human sacrifice. It's, it's their, like what communion is to us. That seems to be for them. They fight with a religious fervor. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn and Richard Vormbrand and people who have suffered in the concentration camps of the communists in the East, uh, they've warned us of this, that what we're facing in Marxism and the New World Order is a godlessness that's uh, tenaciously malevolent, malicious, hostile, it's antichrist. And I don't think the average Christians in the West realize this world war of worldviews that we're involved in, this 
this colossal clash of cultures and civilizations. But uh, I think many people have been dulled by what Hollywood and what the secular humanist education institutions have been doing in presenting an alternative reality to people, brainwashing. Uh, it's not education, it's indoctrination that you're getting in the state schools, especially in the United States and in Europe. And we as Christians, when we stay no, we're going for home education, we're going for, for <laughs> alternative Christian media, and we're not going to plug into the world, and we're not going to tune into their propaganda. We don't want our, their lies besmirching our children and, and our futures. So th this, this is what we're involved in, in the Great Commission, that we are going and making disciples of all nations, and I see it as, as bringing light to the darkness. And we have the forces of God and truth and the light behind us, and they have nothing but dikes to try and keep us out. And I think the picture, which I saw wonderfully going to Europe now, because I went to where the Berlin Willard stood and walked over where before I'd had to smuggle in when the Iron Curtain was up. And uh, when the Iron Curtain was up, I, I was one of those people who thought it would be up till Jesus came. I, I didn't think we'd see the Iron Curtain come down in our lifetime. Yeah. And yet, the Leipzig prayer meeting began, and their symbol was candles. And the Christians of Eastern Europe would be putting candles in their windows at night, they'd be walking with them, and the symbol was, not all the darkness can put out the smallest Amen. candle. Amen. And so, this spread until the, you know, I know that Ronald Reagan challenged Gorbachev, tear down of this wall, he didn't. The people of East G Germany and East Berlin, they tore down that wall. Right. Uh, no governments did it for them, neither East nor West. The people did it, and the church was at the center, and the prayer meetings were the dynamo that drove this whole movement. And the people who were smuggling Bibles in and broadcasting gospel radio programs behind Iron Curtain were a vital part of this whole battle. But that, that was a victory that we saw in our lifetime, and that's a small part of the great victory we're still going to see, because all the uh, apparent evil that we can see winning uh, around the world, it's only temporary. Uh, we, we are going to see it come tumbling down just like the Berlin Wall came down. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Today we've been talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, founder and director of Frontline Fellowship. Uh, Peter, if someone wants to learn more, where can they go and look you up? Yes, um, if you go on to FrontlineMissionSA.org, so FrontlineMissionSA.org, and uh, that's our website. You'll see a lot of information, back, uh, details and, and evidence on the persecution church and what's going on there. We've also put up a whole lot on, on our church history on ReformationSA.org. So ReformationSA.org, if you look on Facebook, you'll find, if you're on social media, Reformation 500. And uh, that's got a lot of what we just did on going around um, on this Reformation 500 mission and Frontline Fellowship, which deals mostly with the persecuted church and our missions in Africa. Well, it's an honor talking with you, and uh, Peter, uh, keep up the good work, and thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a joy. Thank you, Dan. God bless. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 